opening our Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, uh, the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Hallelujah. Entitled this sermon, The Killer of Doubt. The Killer of Doubt. Out of Matthew 28 and verse 16. From studying the brain, scientists have found that repeated thoughts. Okay, think about that. Repeated thoughts actually create physical grooves in the brain. Our thoughts create physical grooves in the brain. When we practice a skill, learn a sport, or study facts, a little trench in our brain, as small as it might be, is carved into our brain's tissue or matter. This is another reason why it is hard to break bad habits. A habit is truly not just mental, but it is physical. One must make a new brain groove to break a habit. Repeated thoughts become not just brain grooves, but deeds and repeated deeds, actions that we take become concrete actions. You can see that in our daily lives. We can almost, right, some people, we don't need an alarm. It's like we just wake up because our body's used to it. There is a physical groove that's telling us. We can almost get ready, kind of stumble out of bed, right, and put our pants on, brush our teeth, and then we're just kind of grab a coffee on the way out, and then we get into our car, and somehow we made it to work, just kind of numbing our brain. We didn't even know how we got there. And then all of a sudden, the phones are ringing, and the people are calling us. We're on the forklifts, and, uh, and then we're, it's, we have a daily routine, and these grooves are etched in us. This natural functioning condition of the brain helps us learn in the best-case scenario. In a worst-case scenario, these thoughts become ditches. Sometimes our thoughts can become even extreme trenches, not just little grooves, but extreme ditches or trenches of self-doubt, fears, or phobias, obsessive thoughts, vices, misdeeds, and even worse than that. So we need help tonight. We need deliverance in our mind. We need to come against the enemy, and even in our own doubt, in our mind, these grooves that we've been over time building in our brain, we need help tonight. Hallelujah. Matthew 28, verse 16, the word of God says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Church, listen to these three words. But some doubted. How sad is that? Some worshipped. 
but some doubt it. Doubt and unbelief has ripped off people from the very beginning of time. From Adam and Eve to us today. And with this story right here in the middle of all of it. The entire account of Matthew. You read through this gospel book of Matthew. uh, It's been written. It's done. It's history uh, All of the chapters uh, giving the glory and power. This is uh, Matthew's account of who Jesus is and how the Father has the power uh, over sicknesses. Matthew being the physician uh, and how God can come and move in the supernatural and affect the physical uh, and get involved in people's lives. Uh, And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus has already resurrected. That's in Matthew 27, verse 53. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. But before he do, does, uh, he appears and brings himself uh, before the disciples first. Before he goes to heaven, he presents himself before his uh, believers. And we have this sad scripture that they worshipped him. But some doubted. Everybody saw the crucifixion. Everybody saw the very physical body of Jesus Christ brought down off the cross, buried into a borrowed tomb, and now have heard words that the tomb is empty, and then here Jesus is perfectly fine, appearing himself through the the walking through of doors, But some still doubt. I find that so amazing and sad in the same time. Refusing to doubt or accepting it is very important. Very important. Some believe it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter if I doubt or not. Things are going to happen either way. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I believe in. It doesn't matter what kind of faith I have. It doesn't make any difference. Why does it matter what I believe? You see, it was important to Jesus, though. It was important to our Savior, the Son of God, that his people would not doubt. That we wouldn't doubt. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you have Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of uh, chapter 7, he begins to eat, uh, he takes all of these teachings and he begins to explain that people that take these teachings, they're either going to believe in them or they're not. Uh, and he makes reference and says that these that will take my teachings and believe will be as a wise person building their house on solid ground. But those that don't believe, those that doubt, those don't, that don't take my teachings uh, will be as the unwise people uh, building their house upon sand. 
And he says, because the storms of life will come along and they will press upon that house and that house and the wise person's house will still stand. See, what Jesus is basically saying in those three chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's saying, take my teachings and it's important that you believe and you do not doubt. That the words out of Jesus Christ's mouth would be life unto us. You know, you and I, we don't have doubt and tangible things, right? We don't. We get in our car. And for the most part and majority of the time we get in, we stick the key, we turn it, and we believe it's going to turn on. We go home, open up the front door. We reach for that light switch and flip it up, and we believe the lights are going to turn on. We pull into a drive-thru. We place our order. We believe by the time we get to that window, my order's coming out that window. How come people still doubt Jesus Christ? All of his promises, all of his words, people still doubt. Turn to Jesus, turn to the church, still doubting in their mind, in their heart, who God is and what he did on a cross. The difference is faith. And this is the killer of doubt. It's faith. That's why Paul describes Christians like this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. Now... We do not belong to those who turn back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. To be saved, you have to have faith. We have to believe, have faith that God in our trespasses sent his son to die for us. We have to have faith in that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He goes on to say, Paul does these famous words in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The International Standard Translation says, Faith is the assurance that what we hope for will come about. <laughs> Can anybody hope for big things? That scripture says that what we hope for will come about and the certainty that what we cannot see exists. We can't see the spirit of God, but it exists. And I'm hoping for many things and that it's already taking place. Assurance, certainty. The Bible says we can count on it. You can take the check to the bank. Amen. You know, the word faith is used only once in the Old Testament. Only once. And it's in actually in um, Daniel chapter 32, near the end somewhere, verse 50 or somewhere. It, it's only written once and, uh, in the entire Old Testament. It's the word faith once. And it actually has to talk about relationships. It's talking about a brother's relationship. It was Daniel and Jonathan and how Daniel married Jonathan's sister. And, but now they can have faith in one another as the bond. It's talking about relationships. 
Faith is only mentioned once in the entire Old Testament. But even though it's only mentioned once, you can see faith in action throughout the entire Old Testament. All 37 books, from Genesis to Malachi, you can see faith at work. We have the father of our faith in Abraham. The entire 11th chapter of Hebrews in the New Testament is all about Old Testament saints. This is the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11. He's not mentioning anybody in the New Testament. It's all about the old Christians in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Paul's writing and mentioning all of these people like Moses and Joshua, he ends up in a scripture in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, and he says, man, I don't have enough time to tell you about all the Old Testament saints. Turn that off back. There we go. Hallelujah. And so he continues to say things, and he continues to mention Old Testament saints, Old Testament saints, Old Testament saints, and the faith that they had. You know, take Elijah, for instance. He definitely had assurance and certainty in God. He stands in 1 Kings chapter 18 when his enemies are surrounding him and promoting the strength in their gods. And here they are on some mountaintop. And here they are. They're calling upon all of their gods. And Elijah stands alone. There's no other believers with him, but he stands alone. And there is no doubt in his mind. And he says these words in verse 37 of 1 Kings 18. He prays and says... Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again to you. And then all of a sudden, poof, fire comes down from heaven. Boom. God shows himself. And when all these enemies and all of these prophets, they say to Elijah, he is the God. He is the God. I don't know what we've been serving, but he's the God. And if that wasn't enough, Elijah, he turns to King Ahab in the middle of a drought. Anyone in a drought here tonight? Just feel a little dry in your spirit. In the middle of a drought, Elijah and his servant are watching for rain. Elijah tells his servant, go and watch. Goes out and watches, comes back. Elijah, there's nothing. We'll go watch again. Goes out and watches, come back. Elijah, there's nothing. We'll go out and watch again. Servant goes out again on the third time, watching, comes back to Elijah. There's no rain. Elijah says, what? Go and watch again. So here the servant is on the fourth time. Going out, looking for rain, comes back to Elijah. Elijah, there is no rain. What does Elijah say to the servant? Go and look again. Here he is on the fifth time. Goes out, nada. Comes back, Elijah, I think you're cuckoo. 
There is no rain. What do you want me to do? What does Elijah say? We're catching on. Hallelujah. That's the sixth time. What happens on the sixth time? So tremendous, so powerful. There is nothing that happens. Comes back to Elijah. Elijah, there's still no rain in the the sky. What does Elijah say? Go. There we go. Hallelujah. Don't you hate it when pastor says pray again? The first and second and third, fourth, fifth and sixth time didn't work. Pastor keeps telling you to pray. Dang it. But on that seventh time, that servant runs out there. You know, sometimes, you know, if the rain would have came on the first time, we might have taken advantage of it. Yep, that's what God does. Yep. Mm-hmm. But see, when then God moves just a little bit, the Bible says that the servant looks in the distance and sees a cloud as a hair. It's way off in the distance. Servant gets so excited. Runs back, Elijah, Elijah, there's a little tiny cloud way out there in the distance. He is excited. Why? Because he's grateful now. Comes back, and then all of a sudden, the entire sky, and then just a downpour. This is what we need. We need a downpour from God upon our lives. And it happened on the seventh time. He said, behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Later on, says, and the hand of Jehovah was on Elijah. You know, our problem is that we think we know it all, right? Our entire 12 years of edumacation. And we got the universe just packed down and understood. Our intelligence is through the roof. Our entire 120 points of our IQ is killing our faith. We hear, ask the questions from people. Maybe we're asking them ourselves. We make the statements, I can't hear God. Maybe go pray again. But pastor, I can't hear God. Maybe go pray again. But pastor, I can't. Maybe go. Maybe go. Would you pray 20 times If it meant on the 21st time God was going to rend the heavens and pour out upon your life, would you pray 20 times? Why don't we? Because we've thought ourselves out of our own faith. We hear the famous words of Job. Look, I go go to the east. He isn't there. If I go to the west, I don't perceive him. If he's working in the north, I can't observe him. If he turns south, I can't see him. Some of us, that's like us. I can't see him. I can't hear him. I don't know what he's doing. Where's God at? If God loves me, then why am I going through this? If God's all-powerful, then why is sickness come upon me or my family? If God is so loving, why do I feel like I'm being judged? If Jesus Christ has the ability to raise the dead, then why am I always walking in condemnation and guilt? Why? Why? If God is, then why? Our high intellect says, I can't see or hear him. He's not there. 
And when that happens, we usually begin to look to ourselves. We try to figure things out on our own, don't we? In our entire 12 years and 120 IQ, we look to ourselves to figure out heaven. People today still stuttering, uh, stuttering, studying the <laughs> stars. <laughs> My education. Still studying the stars, trying to figure out creation. Stop trying to figure it out. Just enjoy it. You ever seen a kid at a park? You know, you, you and I as parents, right? We go to a park and to the playground, and we're just like pushing the swing, right? God, I wish I had my wireless thing. We're pushing the swing, and we're on our phones at the same time. Just pushing and texting and pushing and texting and pushing and texting and pushing and texting. <laughs> Right, we're walking around the park, and they're running around, and we're telling them to slow down. Isn't that funny? The beginning of a kid's life, you're encouraging them to speak and stand up. The rest of the life, you're telling them to be quiet and sit down. <laughs> Isn't it? It's kind of funny, right? But at these parks, you know these kids? They see little chipmunks and squirrels, and they go bananas, and we're just like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Now, how come we can't just, how come we can't just enjoy creation? How come we can't just enjoy what God has created? How come we can't just enjoy what God has been able to do and what God has been able to uh, create before us? Why do we have to understand everything? Why do we have to try to figure out everything? If God said it is, then it is. Right? Let there be light. So there was light. Some people say there was a big bang. Yeah, probably if there was a big light. (laughs) probably a big bang right earth comes into existence yeah I'm pretty sure there was some noise going on but with their 120 IQ they think they've created something you know Job says there's nothing new in the heavens there's nothing new that's why it took mankind so long to figure out that the world wasn't flat Hallelujah. Should have read the Bible. Says it in Luke. People trying to figure out stuff. David, a two-year-old with leukemia, was taken by his mother, Deborah, to a Massachusetts general hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, who specializes in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating. He says these words, he has a 50-50 chance. The countless clinic visits, the blood tests, the intravenous drugs, the fear and the pain, the mother's ordeal can be almost as bad as the child's because she must stand by unable to bear the pain herself. David, however, never cried in the waiting room. And although his friends in the clinic had had to hurt him, and stick needles in him, he hustled in ahead of his mom with a smile, sure of the welcome he was always to get. When he was three, David had to have a spinal tap, a painful procedure at any age. It was explained to him that because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him better. He said, if it hurts, Remember, his mom says, if it hurts, remember it's because he loves you. 
Deborah, the mom, said the procedure was horrendous. It took three nurses to hold David still while he yelled and sobbed and struggled. When it was almost over, the tiny boy, soaked in sweat and tears, looked up at the doctor and gasped for breath and said, Thank you, Dr. Truman, for hurting me. You know, sometimes we don't understand why we have the pain that we do. But sometimes that pain is for our own good. There's a healing that's coming about. Now, I don't know about you parents, but when my child turns 16, 17 and asks me to drive my car, there's no way. (laughs) Sorry to burst your bubble. Get a bike. Hallelujah. Now, why we as parents will have an issue of not handing over the keys to our child when they're 16 or 17? Because they're not responsible enough. Maybe when they get older, 1920, I'll buy them their own car. Why? Because they'll probably be responsible enough at that time. You know, you and I, we're asking God for things. We're asking him to get involved in some things, but we might not be able to handle it. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought about if he did bring the rain, if he did bring the fire, you and I wouldn't appreciate it? Maybe just toss it aside. Oh, look at that. Poof, woohoo. And then just kind of move on and look for the next shiny thing to play with. And not really appreciate what God is doing in our lives. Faith hurts sometimes. It could be a teaching process. But Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of faith. Little kids have just a tremendous faith. Right? They jump off the couch, think they can fly. (laughs) Tremendous faith. Peter walked on water, fill the bathtub up. These kids, just (laughs) tremendous faith. Put to shame some of us adults. Hallelujah. But see, we still ask the question, then why all the pain? Why all the pain? People that say they're atheists, they're just confused, okay? They're just confused. They don't even know what atheism is. It means they don't believe in any God. No, that's not actually what atheism means. That's agnostic. So tell them to get it straight the next time they try to claim something. But most atheists, they'll say there can't be a God because look at all the pain in the world. Look at all the pain. Look at all the turmoil. Look at all the, the murders, the death, the famines, the plagues, the earthquakes, the floods. Look at all. If there is a God, there can't be a God because look at all that. You know, on the flip side, maybe get a little perception that look at all the joy and greatness in life. Look at the birth of a child as it sits in your hand and it has the ability to just look at something physical and it breaks your heart because of the joy, the miracle right in front of your and you get to hold it. Look at the joy. People just look at all the wrong things all the time. Does God get credit for the joyous things? No, only for the murderous things. That's a little bias if you ask me. They'll ask, then, what about the sin and wickedness in the world? Take a look at the news, Pastor Adam, the massacres, deaths. And they'll question, like the prophets around Elijah, where's your God now? The mockers around the cross. Oh, king of the Jews. Where's your God now? 
Hebrews 11:24. having become great, Moses by faith refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. You know, sometimes living for God, it hurts. Our faith, usually activated by some type of sacrifice, hurts sometimes. Moses chose to believe in, by faith. I'd rather be a slave than live in Pharaoh's house. I'm going to go without. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be an outcast. I'm going to be on fear for my life. But I'd rather there than Pharaoh's house. You know, if the old guys in the Old Testament can do it, this is what I'm about to say. If the old guys in the Old Testament can do it, How much more us? Us. That have now the blood of Jesus. They didn't have it. They didn't have Christ crucified. We have it. They didn't have the cross. We have the cross. They didn't have the empty tomb. We have the empty tomb. They didn't didn't have the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost. How much more us living in today's times can we have faith? We sing this song, we believe in God the Father. Do we really? Do we really? Do we really believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? In our times of drought, in our times of attacks, do we really believe? Still, people question, what's this Trinity thing? You know, God, the Son, they're three in one and this and that. You know, God says, I sit upon my throne in heaven and the world is my footstool. Just picture that for a second, okay? So he's in heaven and physically he's standing on earth. God in heaven and there's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. People still question it. People still question the blood of Jesus being able to cleanse. People still question healing power of God. People still question raising from the dead, the resurrection. Still question all of these things, and they're not accepting it by faith. People still have issues with forgiveness. How did Jesus do that? This is born again thing. The reason why we know this actually happened is because we've experienced it. It's happened to us. You know, church, don't allow the devil to ask the same question that he asked Eve. Did God actually say that? That was the entry door for sin and death into this world. And it came by a question. Did God really say that? Did God really promise that? Did God actually say you could pray and be forgiven? Did God actually say he loves you? Did God actually say he'll bless your marriage? Did God actually say he'll have his hand upon your finances? Did God actually say physically he can heal you? 
Did God actually say he can touch your mind and increase your edumacation? Did God actually say he was going to raise from the dead? Did God? Yes, 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 and yes. Yes, he did. Absolutely, 100% without question. Yes, he did. That's faith. That's the confidence we have in God. We might be able to say yes and so much more. <laughs> One person said all this in heaven too. Yeah. And we got to get to live here on earth with the Holy Spirit. And then we get to live in heaven with Jesus Christ. You kidding me? <laughs> Tremendous. This is the hope that we have. Yeah. Do we just die and then worms come? we have to believe this as well is the bible actually true when it says in first john 5 13 i have written these things to you who believe on the name of the son of god that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may believe on the name of the son of god And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We believe the Bible when it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We believe it when it says in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And after he says that, he then asks the question, do you believe this? Challenging now the faith of this woman. Or when it says in Revelations chapter 3, verse 5, the person who conquers in this way will wear white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life. I will acknowledge his name in the presence of my father and his angels. That's our hope. These are words from God's very throne that are called to help us and cause us to have faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Are you with me tonight? Now, you might be here tonight not seeing everything you'd like to see. You might be battling things that nobody else understands on different fronts of warfare and on the battlefield that you might be standing alone like Elijah, just trying to get by, just trying to believe, having faith that God would rend the heavens and send fire down. The rain might not have come yet. You might be on your fifth prayer, sixth prayer, maybe like Daniel on your 20th day fasting and believing, and there might be nothing yet. You might have questioned God. You might have trenches in your brain about doubt and unbelief. You and I, we're called to continue to pray like Job, that we would see God. We're called to continue to pray like Elijah's servant uh, for rain to God who would pour out his spirit uh, and fire. Understand that you and I can have what the Old Testament and New Testament people had. Paul said in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing 
that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there would be joy, there would be peace in your believing. In your believing. This is why most people don't have joy and peace, because they're not believing. They don't have faith. They're not praying. They're not contending. That's why they don't see fire or rain. They're not seeing God move at all. But in our believing and in our exercising of faith, God says you'll have a joy and peace beyond yourself. Joy and peace. That no matter what the season, you'll know that God is on the throne Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead and the very Holy Spirit of God lives with inside of our hearts. And that comes with faith. Faith that will kill doubt. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes tonight.